Uh, today we have Hemi Thacker with us. Thank you, Hemi, for joining us. Of course. Um, very excited. This is actually our first our first podcast for Everyday M and A, and I'm very excited to have Hemi, who's one of the top entrepreneurs here in Austin. Uh, very well credentialed entrepreneur, um, Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year, been listed on the Inc. 500, Inc. 5000, and also on uh, Deloitte and Touche. So thank you very much. Um, we like to focus this podcast primarily on learning how companies in the small middle market grew from something that was achieve, something that achieved product market fit and then through acquisition. But in order to, to unpack that, it's important to have some context. So let's start with the founding story, you know, how you started your company, what was the nexus of the idea, and what got you to that stage where you even had the opportunity to scale the company and, and end up selling it. So the last one, Anui Systems, is a really interesting story, and I hope someday that uh, people look at it and write interesting articles on it because it's uh, it was organically grown, bootstrapped um, with uh, eight thousand dollars in capital. And that was it, and it's a it's a hardware company. So starting a hardware company with uh, minimal capital is something that I'm beginning to you know realize was uh, nothing short of a miracle. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, well, let's start with the the previous company that I'd sold to Lucent Technologies. It was a fabless semiconductor play, and after selling that company, I wanted to build another fabless semiconductor company. So um, fast forward to uh, late August of 2001, I had um, generated enough interest to begin developing term sheets for another fabless semiconductor company. 9/11 um, uh, happened, and on that day, we were supposed to uh, talk about. The term sheets, and unfortunately, um, well, or, or however we look at it, uh, uh, we, uh, we 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 couldn't come to terms. Uh, the the market had collapsed, so I had to focus on uh, uh, something slightly different. And um, that slightly different was something, you know, the bottom of the economy, the economy starting to tank, and uh, I had to uh, focus on uh, generating revenue really quickly. So instead of being a fabulous semiconductor company, we stumbled onto a test and measurement piece of the market. And that's that's how we started Newy Systems. We we with minimal amount of capital, we built a piece of product that um, I knew customers would want because I used to be that kind of customer that mm -hmm. would want that. And then we used that, and um, we we uh, we got inside that uh, build, measure, learn mm -hmm. uh, vicious cycle. I love that cycle. Mm -hmm. And um, as I've always told anyone who wants to listen to me, the only kind of marketing I believe in is a paying customer. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, we have a paying customer, and we learned how to get more paying customers, mm -hmm. what they wanted, and just spun that faster and faster. Mm -hmm. And so one product led to another, led to another, led to another. And eventually, we had an awesome test and measurement company that was generating uh, $10 million of uh, revenue with a cash flow of uh, six, seven, seven, $7 million of cash flow, mm -hmm. free cash flow, So um, at the peak of that market. And so basically, um, uh, we learned how to go from nowhere and basically dominate um, that market because of our differentiation that we brought to that particular market that we happened to stumble upon. And then we took that revenue and we pivoted into a completely different space. We took a gamble. We went to live network monitoring. Hmm. And the way we did that is uh, we found a customer that wanted a certain piece of our technology over here brought over here. And that's how it all started. That's fascinating. How did you know you found product market fit? And also, what was the reason for moving into a different market segment? Good question. Let's start with the second question. Uh, as we grew the test and measurement business, we knew there would be a cap on the size of it. Um, and also, the multiples you get for test and measurement business are not as high as 
live network monitoring or software or anything like that. So um, I, I knew that in order uh, to um, grow it to a point where we could take it public, and by the way, I still want to take a company public someday. <laughs> oh gosh, I want to ring that bell on, on New York Stock Exchange so badly. Um, so uh, t- in order to get excitement to do that, we needed a different market. And I knew that uh, a few years into our test and measurement space that we needed to find another market. Mm-hmm. So that actually um, is, uh, I've learned a lot of lessons and one of them was go visit your customers. Mm-hmm. Go help your customers. In fact, when you go help your customers, only help them solve their problems. Don't try to sell them something. Hmm. And believe it or not, magically something happens where uh, you're, if you if you work with the customers, you're honest with the customers, you, you help them develop um, a solutions to their problems and their customers' problems, all of a sudden they talk to you about their real problems. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, there's your next product idea. Very interesting. I want to touch on something that you mentioned around uh, wanting to ring the bell, wanting to IPO. <laughs> Everyone tells me I'm crazy <laughs> when they do that, by the way. No, no, no. Um, investors typically fall into two different camps. So you have investors who say, I want an entrepreneur who is exit-driven. Mm-hmm. You know, I want them to have the exit in mind and all, already have a list of potential acquirers of where they need to be in order to get on their radar. And there's the other camp which say, I want an entrepreneur who just wants to build a healthy business. I don't want them focused on the exit. I want them focused on profits or on growing revenue, on scaling the business. Which camp do you fall into and why? Oh, I absolutely fall into the camp of let's grow a solid business. Let's, let's make it scalable. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't really matter what you want to do at that point. You're going to find acquirers. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm, I'm an investor, too. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, um, when, when entrepreneurs ask me what kind of exit I'm looking for, my answer has always been, I don't really want to look for an exit. All I want to do is build a scalable company. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. It's, I think this is a good transition point into kind of the meat of the conversation. Um, you said if you build a healthy company, you will get acquirers. So... How did you get your deal? Well, so um, uh, which deal are you talking about? Um, let's start in order. So the first company. So the first company, we uh, were working with uh, Lucent Technologies. They were our primary mm-hmm. customer. And um, as we grew the business, as we developed the intellectual property, they became a natural acquirer. So it was just mm-hmm. a natural fit for them to, to buy us. Mm-hmm. So I don't think... Um, 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 that that doesn't make a really exciting story to talk about. <laughs> no, it, there's actually it's it's a very interesting topic because I've met a lot of entrepreneurs who work really closely with a large incumbent um, in some form of strategic venture. Um, I mean, this is kind of the whole purpose of corporate venture, right? Where they work with small startups so that they can quickly acquire them. But in some ways, it puts the startup into a corner. Um, because if you're too closely tied to one customer, oh, yes. your exit opportunities are limited, are they not? They were they were limited. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. So yeah. it, you're right. It did limit our exit strategy. Uh-huh. However, it was just such a natural fit yeah. to, to be bought by them. Interesting. Do you think if you were working with Lucent's competitor, that Lucent might have been more interested or maybe acquired you for a greater multiple than what they did? Uh, uh, yeah. So if we had an ability to not be so tightly tied, I believe the numbers would be yeah. a lot higher. Yeah. So Very interesting. Um, I've always found it fascinating how you can kind of employ game theory into creating an auction-like scenario among potential acquirers or just in business in general, you know, from partnerships 
to investors, et cetera. Because um, yeah. all very, a lot of it becomes very psychological, um, emotionally driven. You know, um, that's interesting. So I'm curious, when you knew that you were kind of on the path to getting potentially acquired, how did it affect your business? Well. Um, we ran the business all the way up to the end as if we had to run the business. Uh-huh. There was never a time which we didn't run the business because, you know, a deal can fall apart. And I can of tell course. you in the process of selling that last business and the one before, Yeah. N- well, in the last business, deals did fall apart. Mm-hmm. And so we have to continue operating the business as a business. Mm-hmm. So my, my advice for anyone selling a business is, well, assume it's going to fall apart. First yeah. of all, the deal, uh, yeah. the acquisition deal. Run your business. Yeah. Just, just. On it day to day. Yeah. Were you working with competitors of, of Lucent at the time? Oh, that first sale. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, uh, um, the answer is yes. We were working with, okay. uh, we had some contracts with some of their competitors. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, how did the offer present itself to you? How did the offer? The, the, the second deal, offer? The first. The first one. The first one. Uh, it was just uh, pretty much from the day we started, we knew that there's there's going to be an offer coming. Yeah. I kept on floating the idea multiple times, and eventually they, they had a number in mind, and that 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 fit. It was a cash offer. Yeah. Uh, that's that's nice. Well, sort of. So as as um, um, other companies are getting bought for stock, so uh-huh. we could have, I guess, could, could have taken a um, stock deal. Mm-hmm. And so- after we got bought uh, for a few months, the stock of Lucent kept on going up. Mm. And so our employees were like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe what you did. <laughs> and then Lucent crashed. Mm. Uh, employees were like, oh, my gosh, you guys are so smart. Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple of questions in there. So one is I've heard from entrepreneurs who've done deals or acquisitions with, with large incumbents that those incumbents, they don't like to negotiate. They present you an offer, and it's kind of a take-it-or-leave-it type of scenario. Is that the case with... With, with this first company, with Lucent? The first company, it was presented as a take it or leave it. Mm. I, I later found out there was uh, definitely room to negotiate. Yeah. 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 How did they present it to you? Like, just take it or leave it or? Take it or leave it. We did um, push the price up a little bit. We yeah. We pushed up higher if uh, yeah. we had an ability to, uh, if, if, if we were more seasoned, I guess. Mm. Did you guys bring in you know, you know, consultants or attorneys or brokers? We had an attorney. Uh-huh. Um, we did not engage an iBanker at okay. that time. I guess that would have been um, a good thing to do, given that price, yeah. given that market. Um, um, yeah, an iBanker would have been a good thing to do. Why do you think you didn't? I don't know. That's hmm. a good question. We used um, our attorneys as an iBanker yeah. effectively, and I think that was, uh, in hindsight, that was probably the wrong thing to do. Yeah, because I imagine the incentives are different because they're not getting a percentage of the deal, whereas the banker does. No, they did get a percentage of that deal in that particular case. Oh, they did? Yeah. Interesting. It's an interesting structure. Okay. Huh. Was that, so that was an all-cash deal, so that was pretty clean. Um, Uh, Well, sort of. hmm. I mean, it was, uh, there was a tiny bit of uh, options, which, what were underwater by the time they were exercisable. So gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Just shows to you that you you never really know. So, how if you were to go back and restructure that deal, how would you have done it? Knowing what you know now, that is. Well, so um, had we held on and sold, you know, another six months later, we probably would have gotten four times the value of the company. Wow. 
had we held on um, another six months beyond that, we would have probably gotten zero. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not sure, other than perfectly timing the deal, I'm not sure we could have done anything different. So it wasn't necessarily time. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't the structure it, or maybe the company's revenues. It was more the market, just the the market conditions, or what. Well, so we sold in February of 1999. Mm. Um, uh, the world is totally different in 2001. Yep. <laughs> so let's talk about the second company. Okay. So what was the origination of the idea? How did you get it to, to you know, to a, a stage where you could consider an acquisition? Sure. As I said before, the uh, uh, idea was to build another fabulous semiconductor yeah. company. Yeah. Um, I had to pivot real quickly and test the measurement, then live network. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was interesting is that, that that whole process has taught me a lot of really cool lessons. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, uh, one of them is once you're cash flow positive, the world is your oyster. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. No one has to tell you to go raise more money. We didn't spend time raising money. Mm-hmm. We spent time in getting customers, mm-hmm. growing the business, building the technology. Now, did you raise any venture capital for either of these two companies? Uh, no, and that's not for lack of trying. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think not raising venture actually gave you a competitive advantage? Absolutely. Um, there's a time and place for VC money, and I am confident it's not the day you start. Mm-hmm. You're, uh, you're, you're going to waste energy and time doing something that I think is counterproductive to your overall health. Of the company. Mm-hmm. And probably your personal health, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what would you tell founders who think they need to, to raise a round of venture to get an idea off the ground how to get started? Well, so as I tell people who are interested in listening to my advice, um, are you interested in an idea or are you interested in building a business? Hmm. Which one is it? If you're married to the idea, well, then you'll probably need to go try to convince someone that your idea has merit. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in building a business, my advice to you is to pivot. Mm -hmm. Go get revenue. Go get customers. Go get traction. Mm -hmm. And these days, it doesn't take a lot of money to do so. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you're interested in building? So the acquisition for the second company, tell me about that. Certainly. So um, there's a friend of mine here in town um, um, who had lunch with one day, and I was telling him about how we were growing the business. Mm-hmm. And so he uh, was friends with uh, the CEO of the company that eventually bought us. Hmm. And so he suggested to that CEO that they, they look at us. So we had an unsolicited offer. Uh-huh. And once we had that unsolicited offer, we began um, a process. Uh-huh. So I was not looking for an acquisition at the time. In fact, uh, the intention was to continue growing the business. So what changed? What changed your mind? Well, um, um, the, as soon as we had an unsolicited offer, we decided to begin a process. And eventually that process got to a point where an offer was um, something that was meaningful and something that was uh, interesting to the founders. Uh-huh. And so that's why we did it. Interesting. But um, what... It's interesting in this is we had a business that was sustainable, that was growing, was healthy, was profitable, mm-hmm. and therefore we didn't need to raise any money. There was no pressure from any found, uh, from, from any um, um, investors. Yeah, yeah. At that point, did you think to yourself, "Yeah, I could just continue running this company and you know have a nice life, have pretty stable income, and maybe sell it 
in the future for a larger multiple. But you decided to take the deal then. Why? Well, I didn't need to have my second business anyways. I already sold one. I was yeah. That was enough. Um, so there was never. Um, is there? Is this a life changing money for me? That was never. Got it. Uh, that's that was that was not part of it. Um, it was life changing for the other co-founders, of course. Yeah. Um, but that that. No, just it, the timing was right. Yeah. It was a good fit for uh, technology-wise with the acquiring company. Mm -hmm. It was a great fit for our engineers. How many years in were you in, at that point uh, when you got the offer for the company? When we got the offer, probably nine years. Nine years. Yeah. And what about this, the, the first company when you got the acquisition? Um, start to finish was 18 months. 18 months? Yes. That's incredible. <laughs> we got lucky. <laughs> wow. And luck is where preparation meets opportunity. but. Yep. We got lucky. Yeah. I, I can tell you with certainty, um, anyone who's been successful mm -hmm. that says luck was not a part of it is fooling you. Yeah. Or, or maybe they're, I, I don't know. But yeah. everyone who I know has been successful, luck has been a big part of their, their, their outcome. But and they've been prepared. So let's talk about the, the trend, like the, the offer and then going forward. So how long did the transaction take for both companies? It took a long time. So uh, it took about... Nine months, nine ten months from start to finish. Okay. But Describe the process. Like, what was in what was involved during that time? Sure. So, um, um, we did walk away from two deals. Why is that? Um, because uh, uh, something happened called retrading. We were retraded on on two deals, and I'll talk about that in a second. And so, I just said no to the retrades. Mm -hmm. A retrade is where uh, an acquiring company comes to you and says, uh, "Well, here's the." term you, you're almost done and then um on the 11th hour they come back and say now it's 15 percent less or 10 percent less wow. take it or leave it and so we left it like a bait and switch uh, yeah you call it bait and switch there's always reasons why they want less mm. i'm okay. sure interesting so it's like change in market conditions or change or in sales the weather is um, stormy outside today therefore it'll be 10 percent <laughs> less or or no the sky is blue no the clouds are a little cloudy today so it'll be 10 percent less um i'm so typically in venture financing, I would say typically, sometimes you, you'll see like no shop clauses. Um, yes. Did they have that? Yes. So um, let me describe the process that we started with. Um, so we had an unsolicited offer. Uh -huh. um, we began the process of uh, seeking an uh, iBanker. So I interviewed, I actually talked to about 20, uh, 20, 20 odd different iBankers, narrowed the list down to three um, candidates. Mm -hmm. um, uh, from those three, uh, I went to my board and said, these are three, this is why I like them. Um, you know, pros and cons of each one. And then we end up choosing one called, uh, they're now called MHD Partners. Mm -hmm. um, we chose them as our iBanker. Um, we then um, also sought out uh, legal advice. We end up using Vincent and Elkins V&E here in Austin mm -hmm. as our, our, our legal representation. Mm -hmm. um, so that combined team along with, uh, uh, I hired um, some consultants inside um, uh, I, I had one board member become more active in the acquisition. So I had um, people who were seasoned help me through the process. Mm -hmm. um, so as, then as we began the process, uh, we did begin seeking um, um, uh, some other sources of mm -hmm. funding. And eventually we got to a point where uh, there's no shop clause with the, uh, with the first offer. Mm -hmm. And when no shop clause went through it, um, uh, I was, uh, we we're getting ready to make the deal done, get the deal done, and I was on a skiing trip when they decided to retrade us oh. by a few million dollars, and I said no. Yeah. Hmm. Hummed and hawed, and they said, just take the deal. I said no. Hmm. Well, after a lot of humming hawing, I said 
it, it took um, everything I had to say no. Yeah. It was a very difficult process. I'm glad I did. I listened to my advisors. And what do they tell you? Just say no. Why? Because that's a silly retrade. So they felt the, the value of the company was worth more than what they were offering. No, the value is right. I yeah. mean, the deal that we struck was... So a couple of things about everything we, we, we said in our, our term sheets and everything. We, we were very accurate with our numbers. We're, we're, everything was accurate. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm certain that the acquiring teams were looking at, there's got to be something fudged about that. No, our numbers were accurate. We're, mm-hmm. um, we were, we're, were an open book. We, yeah. It is what it is. Anyway, so when that deal fell through, um, um, uh, another acquirer uh, appeared pretty much within a few weeks. How? Um, they knew that the no-shop clause was over. Were you talking with them already? No, we weren't, but our iBankers reached them. Got it. So Okay. And so they came in. Uh, they came in with uh, a deal that was uh, uh, 15% larger. <laughs> nice. Um, and then uh, we went through the whole process. Uh-huh. And then just as we were about to consummate the deal, they retraded again. In that hmm. case, about 10%. Hmm. And so, again, I said, no, thank you. Hmm. What was interesting is the first acquiring company, when, when they were retrading us, they said, uh, take this deal or we'll never come back to you. And did they? They came right back to us. <laughs> In case you're watching this, hi, how you doing? <laughs> Thanks for coming back, actually. <laughs> love it. I love it. It sounds like uh, the investment banker was a pretty important uh, role in this. Yeah, so the investment banker was able to um, drive value um, into the deal that I was unaware how to drive value. Um, for example, uh, getting um, tax credits back mm-hmm. to the shareholders, um, uh, maximizing every piece of the deal in, in, in terms that I was completely unaware of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I should have been um, well, I, no, I should not have been. That's 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 their responsibility. Right. So yes, an iBanker drives value, and their 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 fee is high. Yeah. But I think they earn their fee. What approximately is the fee for those who aren't familiar? Um, On average. So uh, this deal was a hundred and fifty-four million dollar deal. Uh, the iBanker fee was one point seven five ish million. So okay. whatever that works out to. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and there is a success based fee. The higher the price, the higher success. Sure. So sure. When you were screening investment bankers, why did you narrow them down to three? Those three, like what, well, what was twenty that? is a lot to deal with. Yeah, it's just like when you go to a tapioca store or you know the bubble tea store. There's too many choices. Yeah, I like to narrow them down to three. Sure, sure. So you narrow down to three, and then you list the pros and cons of each one. And what are you know typically pros and cons? Because I'd imagine a lot of them have kind of similar marketing pitches. They do. In this particular case, uh, um, this uh, iBanker is known to a couple of my board members. Mm. So that actually he- weighed heavily on my mind. Did he have like industry expertise? Did in industry area? expertise. Got yes. it. Got it. And do iBankers typically specialize in one specific market or niche? Yeah. So iBankers uh, have different niches. They have uh, the uh, deal size niche. Uh-huh. That's obviously an uh, um, uh, easy one to do. They have industry niches. They uh-huh. have... Um, uh, segment niches, they have uh, um, um, physical niches, yeah. all, all, all sorts. And yeah. so this particular bank was based, based in Dallas. Uh-huh. And um, I, I love working with them. They're yeah. smart guys. Yeah. So most people probably are familiar with like the big investment banks, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan. Uh, you went with a boutique. MHD. A, a okay. boutique was necessary uh, to get this deal done. Okay. Yeah. Is that because the larger investment banks don't service the small middle market? Well, the deal is 154 million, so I think this was a. Um, I, I think there's 
um, um, J.P. Morgan, et cetera, may have been looking for larger deal sizes, mm. 250 and above. I, Got it. I don't know. Got it. I, I don't remember. I mean, it's been a while, so sure. I, I don't recall it. No, no worries. No worries. Like I said, we did interview uh, a bunch, narrowed down to three, and I guess uh, uh, we got lucky. Yeah. I, I, I actually uh, um, asked each one to give me three references, and I called the references, and then we, we chose the one that we liked. <laughs> Would you have done anything differently in that in that deal? No, I think it was a uh, it was it was done right. Yeah, I think uh, um, hiring um, people to advise us, hi- uh, getting an eye banker was really important. Yeah, um, getting the right legal team was important. Uh, getting advisors to help us through the deal was important. Mm-hmm. People to help me say no to a retrade was important. Mm-hmm. Um, what advisors did you bring in, and why? Well, so I had external board members. Got it. Um, um, I had a person. Um, uh, uh, Craig Reynolds, we hired him to um, uh, do some work for us. Mm-hmm. Um, 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 numbers guy, mm-hmm. do lots of numbers for him. So, Craig, I love you, man. <laughs> nice shout out, I love it. Um, so, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs that maybe have a successful company and, and they're kind of trying to figure out, you know, what their next move is? Should they? raise around a venture and double down? Should they, you know, form a joint venture with a large company? Should they go out into the market, you know, maybe hire an investment banker and, and try to find other potential acquirers? You know, how much does market play into the decision of which of those strategies to pursue? I know it's kind of a, a large question, but um, I think a, a lot of companies that have kind of um, a level of success have to deal with that because it's life altering, is it not? An acquisition can be life altering if the <laughs> if the terms are right. Of yeah. course, um, you're asking an interesting question, which is when should I exit? Yeah. Gosh, um, if you love what you're doing, if you're growing the business, why, why do you want to exit it? Mm-hmm. Is there something in your life that you want to change? Are mm. you tired? Um, I mean, it, let's assume the business is doing well. Yeah. Are you fearful of a downturn in the economy? I mean, what, what's driving the decision to sell it? Mm-hmm. So, I, I can I can understand that if uh, you know you've been doing this for ten years and you're yeah. exhausted, or yeah. um, if you're fearful of uh, perhaps uh, your your industry is very cyclical, mm-hmm. I, I can see seeking out an exit. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know uh, another. Thing I've always maintained is everything is always for sale. It depends on the price. Yeah, yeah. So, do you have any regrets for either the, the the deals that you sold, the companies that you sold? You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, so you can always look back and say I could have done something slightly differently. But no, I don't. I mean, we we made money on them. Yeah, we we made good money for our employees, for mm-hmm. our founders. Um, the products live live on. They're, uh-huh. they're they're an awesome success. Yeah, the engineers have awesome homes. It's just it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Do you think these lessons are timeless or do you think they maybe change based on market or based on just evolution? Like tech, as technology changes, sometimes the rules that govern how companies operate change too. Yes. So um, I, I guess you're asking is, are some of the lessons I've learned, um, do they stand the test of time yeah. and do they, are some of them uh, outdated? Yeah. Um, well, let's look at the kinds of companies. A fabulous semiconductor company is hard to build it in the States. Yep. Um, so um, that one doesn't stand the test of time. 
doesn't mean that you can't build one. It's just as mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, the kinds of companies you can build with minimal capital has um, ex- ex- expanded tremendously. So um, you don't need a lot of capital to build something that generates revenue. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- there's different kinds of lessons of kinds of companies you can build that have changed, of course. Mm-hmm. However, um, <laughs> running a business stands the test of time, which is you better have more money coming in than it's going out. I mean, that's <laughs> a fundamental lesson. I actually really didn't understand that until I understood it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. You know, once you get cash flow positive, the world's your oyster. You, you, it, it's such a freeing moment. You don't, you're not dependent upon other people. You don't have to ask for revenue. You don't have to ask if I should pivot to another market. We pivoted because we knew it was right. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to ask any VC, should we pivot? It's a great position to be in. It, it is. And so uh, my advice for anyone running a business out there is get cash flow positive. Mm-hmm. And then you'll ask me, but how do I do that in my, my business? Well, find a product that lets you get cash flow positive. Mm-hmm. I, I'd rather spend time getting revenue than spending time chasing investment dollars. That is great advice. I think that's a wonderful place to end. Thank you, Hemi, so much for today. Mark, thank you for inviting me.